Hi, my name is Charles Feldman, and this is the first Trust on Purpose podcast of 2024. Woohoo! Happy New Year, Ela. <laughs> Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Happy New Year, Charles. Thank you very much. Today, we're going to kind of delve into a topic that actually was brought to us by one of our listeners, a question or concern that our listener brought up. And we're going to look at it from some different perspectives. So, Ela, do you want to relate it? The concern? Yes, 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 yes. So again, we so appreciate when our listeners come to us with trickies or spices that they're navigating. And this particular one is about what do I do when my leader doesn't believe that I'm at capacity? I'm going to say that again. What do I do when my leader believes that I'm not at capacity? And so, well, of course, we had the conversation before the conversation. We always do. I love that part. And so as we were looking at this, it unfolds into a number of different areas, a number of different perspectives. And so let's dive in because I think this is going to be a really juicy one. Yeah, it was our conversation before the conversation and then thinking about it along the way. Obviously, from that particular person's perspective, questions come up, right? Does the leader actually know you're at capacity? The question is, what do we do when the leader doesn't believe that? How has the leader been told? Has the leader been given any evidence that might, for some reason, make them believe that, in fact, mm -hmm. you're at capacity? There are those questions. Obviously, if either one of us were coaching that person, one of the first things we would say is, what have you said to your leader yeah. that would help them recognize that and believe that you're at capacity. And so there's, of course, two sides that maybe, in fact, this person has said to their leader, look, I have so much on my plate right now. I can't possibly do this. I am at capacity. And the leader is ignoring that. That's one actual possibility. That's one possibility. The other possibility is, and this just popped into my head, is the leader may believe it, but there's nothing you can do about it because this stuff just has to get done. Yes. Which, as I think we, you and I both get to peek into all sorts of different organizations, that is also a true statement and something that does happen. And there's also the situation often where everybody believes it just has to get done because it's urgent, because they have considered it urgent. Not that it's actually important to get done, but rather that there's a sense of urgency that drives everything or almost everything. So everything has to get done now. Right. And what we know about that is when everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. I don't know who said that. I'm, I need to attribute who said that brilliantly, but it wasn't me. I didn't come up with that. Uh, it's been around for a while. And yet so many of us so often miss it. In times when we get kind of hooked into everything being mm -hmm. top priority. Mm -hmm. I guess the question goes back to what does this person do? Or what can they do? What are the moves that they can make? So can we go back a tiny little half step before then? Because I think one of the questions you said as we were introducing this topic is, what have you actually done or said? So what's the behavior for you to let your leader know that you're at capacity? And I share this from previous personal experience where when I was working in an organization, I just took more stuff on. In my head, I'm like, 
Can you not see that I'm overwhelmed? Can you not see I'm at my desk at seven in the morning until nine o'clock at night? Like, how do you not get that I'm at capacity? But I never told him. I expected him to see, which we can't. Right. That's that's not a fair expectation. (laughs) Right. That's not a fair expectation. That isn't. And yet that persists for most people. So what does the telling sound like? How does the person who's at capacity actually let their mm-hmm. supervisor, their manager, their leader know that they are? Oh. And what might be stopping them from actually verbalizing? Yeah. I think there's so many things that can get in the way of us actually saying those words to our leader. But what would those words sound like? And I think maybe your delivery might be different than mine. So yeah, what's important is that it's clear, pull in a little Brene Brown, it's kind, and that I think it's authentic. And this is interesting, this a really good coach friend of mine. We made an observation working on a project together about how my at capacity is different than her at capacity is different than your at capacity. And so that that's also something from a leadership standpoint to not hold everybody to the same standard because it may not be possible. It may not be true for them. And so this becomes a design, a co-collaboration. This is uh, two people in deep conversation, not deep conversation. Yeah, deep conversation with each other about what is possible and maybe what is not possible and everything in between. So I want to pause there because I can see your wheels turning. Well, yeah, because that hits right at a competing value, which is fairness. Mm -hmm. That, okay, you've given me all this stuff to do, and you aren't giving him or her as much. Mm -hmm. So where is the fairness in that? And the explanation that, oh, well, his capacity level, it tops out at lower than mm-hmm. yours, you work more effectively and whatever, doesn't exactly, you know, that's a hard sell. Right. For most people. Yes. My statement isn't about giving some people more work and other people less work. And I have this visual in my head, and I think it comes from Susan David. I love it. And it's a bunch of probably 12 different circles lined up. And each of them at our, our varying levels of fullness. And it's a terrible description, but I'm trying to help you see the image in my head. And that we don't operate at 100% every day. We're not supposed to. So my 100% one day, I might be at 40% the next day. So I think that's where the capacity and the negotiation and the conversation comes with leaders. In order to still maintain commitments, follow through on promises, But how do we not burn our people out and overwhelm them, which is, I think, where this original question came from. What do I do when my leader doesn't believe I'm at capacity? So I guess I'm back to what is capacity? Yes. So from the leader's perspective, if I'm a leader, what can I trust is capacity for you versus, you know, Fred or... For you. you For me, for that matter. Yeah. 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 The underlying question is, how can I trust you or do I trust 
that when you come to me and say, I'm at capacity, I believe you are. And if you say I'm at capacity and there is more that needs to be done, then it's my job as a leader to find other ways for that to get done, to believe you yes, and find other ways to get that done. Or some leaders that I've coached to not believe you. <laughs> and, I mean, it's not my job, but that's what often happens is I don't believe that you're actually at capacity or kind of stonewalling a little bit or sandbagging, I guess is the word. So I hold firm, hold the expectation that you're going to be able to take more. I'm totally holding my breath right now. Well, don't, your beating turn blue. I know. And actually I have a blue shirt on, so it's not, yeah. It's, this, I think, goes to the very purpose of why we started this podcast and why we talk about trust all the time. And that if I have developed a trusting relationship with you and you come to me and tell me, Ela, I'm at capacity or I really love this new project that you've got me on. I need to talk to you about how I will be set up for success or how I may or may not be able to deliver on the commitments that you want me to deliver on. And that having that foundation of trust allows us to have a conversation where I actually do believe you because we've built a trusting relationship. And I have no reason to believe that you're telling me anything else but what's true for you. Yes. So back to that building a trusting relationship from the beginning so that when trust is needed. It's there. It's there. It's there. Yeah. Well, and as, as soon as I said that, I mean, you and I have had hours and hours and well, probably days and months together now. And I think we've worked intentionally on our relationship. Let's go back to the listener that posed this question. My guess is that that's not present. It absolutely sounds like it, yes. Yeah. And so where do they go? What do they do? How do they navigate this in a way that they can say what's true for them, listen also to what's true for the leader, and start to design this relationship in a way that brings more trust versus I don't believe you, get it done anyway, yeah. I think you're lying, or I don't know what else. Yeah. And actually, that may not be how it's being treated. It's also possible that the leader is getting pressure to get something done and is just pushing that pressure downhill. Yeah. But uh, let's go back to the question, how does that individual have a conversation with their leader? They've been working together who knows how long, but it sounds like if we're correct here, there isn't sufficient trust in the relationship that they have that the individual feels like their leader will or does believe them mm -hmm. when they say, I'm at capacity. So how do they start now? Mm -hmm. I think one of the first things that I might do is take stock of what I currently believe to be my commitments. And so coming to this conversation, having some data already ready for the conversation. Yeah. So really getting clear about what are my commitments? What does this look like? I would say are clear and complete requests very likely there's missing data here because most people don't make clear and complete requests. And so starting from a conversation of, can I have a conversation with you about what my current commitments are? Not, I'm at capacity, not anything else other than, can we start here? What else would you add? 
Yeah, it's interesting. So I went in a different direction, a little bit different direction. And having a conversation that isn't about the immediate situation, but rather the missing trucks. So having the conversation about if, in fact, the leader has said something like, well, I think that you can do more. I think you can do this. I think you can do more. Having a conversation around that. And I think you're absolutely right. Before any kind of conversation, that person needs to take stock and see where they are and be able to come in with data supporting their claim, Mm -hmm. if you will, Mm -hmm. that they are at capacity so that that's part of the conversation. Here it is. And then rather than make it about just somehow doing more, make it about what can be postponed, what could be given to someone else, what could be changed Mm -hmm. if in fact these other things need to happen and get done. How can we renegotiate commitments that I've made, commitments that you've asked me to make and other people have asked me to make and so on. I think my experience tells me, and I think yours as well, that the problem with that is that if you take stock of commitments and look at them, there are probably a number of them in that list that either are unclear in terms of what the work is and or what the due date is for that commitment and who it's for and what it's for and all of that stuff. You know, if I'm working on 10 different things and seven of them, I'm not really clear when the due date is, or I'm not really clear what the whole piece of work is. And so I'm just kind of doing bits and pieces of it. Sure, it's going to feel like I'm a capacity because I'm just working as hard as I can at everything, trying to get it done. Backing off from there, what we often, as you know, often work with our clients around is making clear and complete requests, which includes that information. What is it? What are my conditions of satisfaction for what I'm asking for? You know, how do I want it delivered? What do I want it to look like? What do I want to have in it? Is it a 20-page in-depth report with charts, graphs, et cetera? Or is it two pages of bullet points? By when do I actually need it so that it isn't just there sitting glaring at me every time I want to do something. I worked with a group of about 50 people, all from the same organization a few weeks ago, and this topic came up. And it was quite fascinating to see the light bulb go off for so many people about the importance of being so clear and complete. And so if I have only so much energy, mentally, physically, emotionally in a day, but I spend 30% of that spinning trying to figure out what you actually want me to do or how you want this delivered or what it should look like. That's incredible energy that can be redirected and focused on, oh, I totally understand what you need me to do. You've set me up for success. You've answered all my questions. I feel ready to deliver this. No problem even making these tiny tweaks to adding a deadline. And let's also throw in there that many people are hyperachievers, people pleasers, super control, like all of these things that can drive our behavior because we want to do good work. We want to please. We want to be recognized. 
And sometimes that's not what's required. Sometimes this is a kick at the can, like put some thoughts on a piece of paper and bullet points and, you know, don't even spell check it. It's fine. Or this is for the board. Like it has to be almost perfect. Yeah. Then I get to manage the time, energy, effort that I put into it because I'm really clear and I'm set up for success. And that's what we mean when we talk about clear and complete requests is setting up the person we're asking to do something, setting them up for success. There's another piece too that is often important in that context. What's this really for? So I understand often I'd be doing something and it doesn't make sense to me because I don't know what the context is, but I'm, I'm just doing it. And so I'm doing it to full capacity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm putting all the bells and whistles mm-hmm. in just in case they're needed. So that exact thing happened. The head of this group said, hey, Ela, do you have a write-up of that exercise that you had us do? And could you send it to me? Like, well, no, I don't. And can you help me understand the context? Like, what are you looking for? And why are you looking for this? And so then he said, we really love the exercise. We want to add some of it into the next board report. And so that's what I'm looking for. So it's like, oh, okay. Yes, I can write something for you to put into the board report and I can deliver that to you by January 8th. No problem. Yeah. And not knowing that, what might you have done if you were someone who didn't really kind of understand the importance of that context, of having that context, what might you have done? I would have given him some step-by-step instructions on how to repeat the exercise. Probably. And how long would that have taken you? (laughs) Uh, Probably a couple of hours. And then it would have gone over to Hillary to brand it and make it look like something that came from my organization. Because then I'd probably use it again. So yeah, there's hours of effort there, not just by me, but also my team. When really by asking that question, oh, you need something to put into the board report. I've seen their board reports, so I have a background of shared obviousness. So I know that it's just one paragraph, simple to the point. Yeah, that you could knock off in 15, 20 minutes or so, maybe 30 at the most. Yeah. The lack of clarity, for some people at least, the lack of clarity leads to very often doing more than is needed or estimating more than is actually going to be needed. And so at capacity, The boss has in his or her head, oh, this is a pretty short, simple thing that I'm asking you to do, and yet you're telling me that it's too much. It's the straw that's going to break the camel's back. Not really understanding that in your mind, it's not a straw, it's a dump truck load of stuff that needs to be done in order to get this thing. Yeah. So if we go back to our listener's question, what do I do? How do I navigate this? I think you and I both had some words of insight and that this becomes a regular conversation. Maybe not the first one is about there's a bigger piece of our relationship that I'd like to develop. Maybe the first one is quite tactical or transactional about how do I fulfill the commitments that are currently on my plate? Leading into further conversations about, I really want you to be able to trust when I make a commitment that I'm going to follow through. And so how do we design that more proactively? How do we, you know, look into 2024 and how do we have the conversations that set us both up for success? Yeah. That I'm concerned that you may not really totally believe me about this. And it's not about this that I'm concerned about. It's about 
if that's true, that you don't believe me, that our relationship is not on solid ground, on solid trusting ground. And so I would like to, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about changing that, which I had a client do recently with her boss. It was a rough conversation for both of them, apparently, but they did it. And, or actually it was a series of conversations, it turns out, but they had those conversations and came through it very uncomfortable initially, but as they talked about it more and more, they discovered those places where trust could be strengthened. And with the health of the framework that you and I both yes. use, and that's really sort of was, <laughs> that was the sort of the doorway for that whole conversation or series of conversations. And things are quite different now as a result of that. And more trusting between them at this mm -hmm. point. Both of those conversations, I think, are important. And probably thinking about it now, I'd follow your order. Let's have a tactical conversation about what do we do about this one? I'm a capacity. Here's my data that tells you, what am I missing? Are some of these things not as big an issue or not as much work as I'm thinking they are? Are some of them on my plate because I've taken them on and I shouldn't have? And then followed by one that's really a relationship conversation, a trust relationship conversation. And the gentle reminder that one conversation isn't going to change everything, that this is a commitment to building stronger trust in the relationship, building the ability to trust and hold each other accountable, and that those conversations may need to happen multiple, multiple, multiple times. Yeah. So when the boss asks for something and does not give context, does not give a clear description of what they want, does not give a time frame, a realistic time frame that they want it in, ask for it. Mm -hmm. It's possible. That's, that's okay. It's mm -hmm. okay to ask for it. In fact, it really is helpful for both parties to ask for that, mm -hmm. to fill in those blanks in the understanding of what effort is needed, what degree of effort is going to get this done. Mm -hmm. And I'm giggling a little bit in my head. Pay particular attention to either your internal dialogue or perhaps the dialogue that you're making up that your manager or leader is saying around shoulding, like, I shouldn't have to ask for this or you should know this. Because those are not helpful. Shooting is not helpful. We know that. And so it, it can be the indication of a missing or unclear standard. And so would you rather be set up for success or would you rather shoot on yourself? I'll take success. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Every time. Yeah. And yet somehow we do that so easily. Well, he should or she should be able to see that I'm at, <laughs> at capacity. Right, right. Or from the leader's perspective, he or she should be able to do this. That's what the job is. So they should be able to do it without really understanding what it is that I'm being asked or what's going on. So I think we want to wrap this episode up. And also, I think a piece to add is that what my capacity has been in the past may not be what it is right now. And so you and I have definitely seen and observed situations where high performers are going through something, maybe family-related, something personal, that absolutely affects our capacity. And so this compassion, empathy, 
again, conversation about and not shooting, well, you've been able to do this in the past. Why aren't you getting it done now? And making those assumptions, rather, what's the conversation? And often it's missing. And ultimately, it's not useful to hold the person to their capacity level that they've demonstrated in the past. When they come to you and say, hey, I caught, if they're making themselves vulnerable and saying, you know, here's what's going on in my life that's actually taking up a lot of my energy and time. And I really am not, I'm not at the same level I have been in the past. I will probably get back there. Right. But just saying, well, suck it up and deal with it will ultimately not be productive because that person will probably burn out, leave, and then you have wasted a very productive person who would probably get back up to very productive capacity. And now you have to bring on somebody new, which is expensive and takes takes time, it's expensive in time and energy and money and focus and all of those things. Just recognizing that it's just not practical as well as not compassionate or fair really to expect everyone to be always in capacity. And it does require some vulnerability on the part of the person who is saying, you know what, I have some things going on in my life right now. Here's what some of that is. And I'm just not working in my capacity. I hope you can take that into account. Yeah. Yeah. We have covered an awful lot. And I think that there is, I think that there is a part two, maybe a part three in talking about this because this, this is a really juicy and a big one. There's so much here. Would you like to join me for a part two of this conversation? <laughs> yes. I'd love for you to join me to continue this conversation. Yes, absolutely. And I would love for you to join us and listen further on this because there is, as Hila is saying, a lot here. There's more that we can bring to the forefront and mm -hmm. at least bring out and talk about and bring awareness to. Yeah. We may not have all the answers. In fact, I'm going to bet we don't have all the answers. But at least we can bring awareness yeah. and some thoughtfulness to it. So. Yes. Yes. And a huge thank you to our listener who brought this topic forward. You know, we all navigate things in our lives and we really appreciate and value both our listeners and them bringing their concerns, topics and ideas for us to be able to share so that we can learn and grow together. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a difference that we know that we're addressing topics that are very much of concern directly to the people who listen to our podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please feel free to, if you have thoughts about this and, or this is triggering thoughts about other aspects or issues of trust in your life, please bring it to our attention. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Yes, we would. All right, Eli. Well, thank you very much and happy new year to you and to all of our listeners. Thank you very much. On behalf of both Charles and myself, we want to say a big thank you to our producer and sound editor, Chad Penner, Hillary Rideout of Inside Out Branding, who does our promotion, our amazing graphics, and marketing for us. And our theme music was composed by Jonas Smith. If you have any questions or comments for us about the podcast, if you have a trust-related situation that you'd like us to take up in one of our episodes, we'd love to hear from you at trust at trustonpurpose.org. And we'd also like to thank you, our listeners. Take care and keep building trust on purpose. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs>